Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Education Empowered podcast. I'm Jason Bellin, Vice President of Student Success with Salesforce, and we are, throughout this podcast, talking about equity in education and lifelong learning. I know that's a topic that all of us continue to think about and to ideate on and to iterate on. Uh, Really, as a community, how can we support every student equitably and help them succeed across any number of careers they may have or interests as their life career develop over time? So now we have, I think, pretty amazing episode. Probably if you're in the Salesforce ecosystem or probably if you're in higher ed at all, you're familiar with the amazing innovative work happening at Arizona State University. Uh, ASU is an, an incredible customer of ours and an incredible inspiration in terms of what can be done with innovative thinking and innovative approach to putting the student at the center and solving real problems. And we have with us today a fantastic guest. We have Donna Kidwell. She's the Chief Technology Officer uh, for Ed Plus at ASU. She's leading the way at doing some innovative work here. Donna, thank you so much for being here. And by the way, I'll say Donna has an amazing, pretty robust and amazing Twitter presence, some great content there. So thank you for all the things you're doing, including that. Well, hey, Jason, thank you so much both for the, uh, you know, really kind words about ASU and for the the little call out on my Twitter. I'll try to keep that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd love to know. So thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. I know you've got lots going on and um, I'd love to you know, just introduce everyone to you. Could you tell us a little bit about, about the work you're doing at ASU? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and again, thanks for asking. And I think this whole topic and this whole podcast series is really, really important one. So thanks so much, Jason, just for for kind of igniting the conversation. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun to be able to have this one with you. Here at Ed Plus, you know, our focus is really trying to find innovative and incredibly impactful ways at reaching out to learners just in in kind of formats that have been unprecedented before. EdPlus is the home of ASU Online, amongst lots of other projects. We do lots of things internationally here at EdPlus. We do lots of things with blockchain. We're kind of of an enterprise innovation unit for um, a pretty innovation-oriented university. And if you look at those kinds of projects and think about the charter at ASU, you know, the charter starts off right with who can access the experiences that we have, learning experiences at our university and how they succeed. And we are really, really dedicated to that. So it means working with our strategic partners, thinking about our technology stacks, thinking about our policy and the way students actually can experience a university education in really unique ways. That's kind of our, our reason for waking up every morning. And, and kind of gives us some fun places maybe to, to start off in our conversation today. Yeah, I'd love to actually hear if you could share a little bit about how ASU is leveraging Salesforce and their journey to become a connected campus. Oh, that's a great question. We have a very robust Salesforce presence on campus. Here at Ed Plus, we have our own Salesforce org, but we are not alone. There are orgs across the campus, so the foundation has one, Athletics. Of course, the Enterprise Canvas, which is serving the, the immersion students that are, are kind of the heart of the campus itself. There's a little bit of Salesforce in everybody here at ASU. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that uh, just to, to, you know, it's always good to declare your biases. If you look way back before I joined higher ed, one of my roles was as a technology director for innovation in a very large real estate firm. And man, if that's your business, um, everything you think about is customer relationship management. 
heart and soul. And so if I go back way back in my career, understanding what a CRM does, I think is something that's, that's kind of key for lots of people's businesses. What we've done here with Salesforce is not customer relationship management or even constituent relationship management, both of which Salesforce is really good at. Mm -hmm. What we're doing here is learner relationship management. And that's, that is a really elegant thing. Not all CRMs make that transition. Learning is complicated. Learning involves all these pivots that you're going to do throughout your career. It really involves, at least for us, being able to listen to our learners, understand where they're at and figure out which of the 200 programs at ASU Online are the ones that are going to match where they need to go? Like, how do we actually help them along their journeys? And Salesforce is essentially the coral reef structure of the beautiful, <laughs> great coral reef that is our technology stack. It's, it's the healthiest, most vibrant piece. And of course, we've got a bunch of other, you know, beautiful, crazy looking little technologies, all sorts of little fish in that coral reef. And Google Analytics inside that space that's really important to the ecosystem. There's, there's, it's not just one tech, but Salesforce is really a, a core piece to, to how we relate to our learners. I love that. And thanks for the uh, sort of the, the ocean of visuals here. It's <laughs> um, that's really bringing me to a happy place. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but listen, I mean, I think, you know, I think what's, let me, I'd like to just hear your thoughts on this. I mean, it, we're really good in higher ed at collecting data and schools who are innovating. I think like ASU and so many others uh, in our family here at Salesforce have become really good at kind of unlocking all that data and then doing something with it and, and changing our relationship with that data yeah. across the experience. I mean, you talked about things about connecting students with the right programs, those kinds of things, but that takes a lot of data to help inform those choices and recommendations and connections. I mean, from a technology perspective, but also from a, I think, change management and a cultural perspective, how has that evolved over time at ASU? Oh, another really great question. I think that we are just starting to appreciate what it means to have a data culture. And by way, I mean higher ed as a, um, you know, kind of across higher ed, you're seeing these different really interesting pockets where we're starting to talk about data, whether it's, you know, FERPA and we're talking about data because we're all afraid of FERPA jail or if it's (laughs) pathways and we're really interested in data because we want to understand better how a student is navigating high school opportunity, community college opportunity, uh, university opportunities. I think that notion of a data culture is becoming really important. So whereas data governance and all these kind of heavy, heavy things that we think about when it takes to, to how do you put together a data strategy, all those things are important. But what's becoming really, I think, a more dominant conversation is how do we compose data teams? My data, and everybody's going to have air quotes around their data, right? Um, In my Salesforce org is probably the deepest, richest place where you're going to understand how we're engaging with a learner as they're trying to figure out how they're going to engage with the university. So this mutual engagement component is really key there. And then from an ASU online perspective, the coaches, success coaches that are the ones that are working with each and every one of those online students to help them actually be successful throughout their time with us and to help us understand how to help them. Those coaches, that's all powered by Salesforce. But that's just my house. Mm -hmm. There's a equally interesting alumni house, uh, 500,000 alumni. 
and their learners that are very likely going to want to come back in one form or another and have an ed plus learning experience that might be continuing professional education, or maybe it's another degree, or maybe it's a certificate, um, or, or maybe something we haven't anticipated yet. Those two houses can't be siloed. We can't think about how we collaborate towards a single learner without having a team approach. Yeah. And I think that's one of the more interesting cultural things that you're seeing here. At ASU, every day includes meetings that are cross-sections between our registrar's office, our admissions office, our folks at the foundation, the folks that are in our marketing hub, and our university technology office. It is rare that I'm in a meeting where some combination of those data science teams aren't helping us get to goal. That's, um, that's just a, a kind of different way of thinking about it. And if you, would, you know, were to scroll back in time <laughs> and look at even five or six years ago, it's pretty exciting. That's amazing. But, but it's also you know, kind of uncharted territory. <laughs> these, some of these conversations are, are not typical and not ones that have happened historically. So that's, it's interesting. Well, it's nice to have the space to kind of, I guess, like maybe, if you will, the safe space to kind of go into uncharted territory and feel like you have a team with you and you're on this journey together. There's trust there across the teams. Yeah, and we're all one, we're all one campus. It doesn't matter if we're online or virtual or, or the, yeah. you know, our new location in L.A. We've got uh, students that, that are actually attending. They're online students who have a residential component in L.A. Like these are, these are kind of uncharted territories, but data science is a team sport now. Data scientists are player coaches. You've got to not only have your ninja skills at understanding what you're going to do with Marketing Cloud and what it's telling you, but you've got to be able to share that with somebody on the other side of the campus who's using Commerce Cloud and you know, trying to figure all of that alongside the team members who sit right across from you who are all in Google Analytics. So it's, um, it's a team sport. I want to talk to you about uh, how you think about data to, in terms of the equity conversation. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to talk about blockchain as well in terms of the credential space. Um, but before we do that, you mentioned something a minute ago that just stuck in my mind as a thing I want to make sure. I thought it might be good to get, have you kind of double click on, on it. And that's around, uh, you mentioned the term staying out of FERPA jail. Oh, <laughs> I'd yeah. like to hear your thoughts on that because, you know, that's something that... Um, a lot of folks are concerned about that for, for good reason and want to make sure they're just doing the right thing, you know, certainly from a legal perspective, but also from the spirit of the law perspective and respecting a student's information, of course. You know, you have however many millions of records you're dealing with. How are you thinking about that? Um, I would roll that up even a little bit higher. I think that an institution our size has got pretty robust policies and procedures around things like FERPA. New partner comes in. And of course, here at ASU, we, we welcome lots of new partners pretty frequently. So whether it's a Starbucks or an Uber or whomever's, you know, our, our partner in trying to craft this, uh, this new learning future, we understand pretty well how to get that FERPA compliance in place. I think that we also are pretty solid around GDPR. Uh-huh. So I, I would kind of put those in the same, how are we thinking about protecting our data and how sophisticated and mature are our processes around that? California's GDPR variations and how that rolls out is still kind of uncharted territory, but it's one that we watch and we are planning for when we're thinking about strategies. Uh-huh. That, and, and CODA too, because um, I think it's called CODA. It's Friday afternoon, Jason. Um, <laughs> 
but you know, every now and then we'll have a student who's under the age of 13 and yeah. you know, we're not going to hold them back. If you're 11 and you're ready for an on, online university course, come on in. Um, but let's make sure your parents know. Yes. I think of it as, as something a little bit deeper for me, it's a trust design effort yeah, nice. and, and it's, it really is, are we compliance and do we have the right data protections in place? And, you know, are we good stewards of the um, architectures and our security systems and all that stuff, all that enterprise yeah. stuff is really important. But if it's not combined with a deep rooted sense of these learners, these individuals that we're talking to trust ASU to help them get some place that they aspire to go, wherever it is that, uh, you know, a learning experience motivated them to get from here to there. That's a tremendous amount of trust. And we need to, as a public university, respond to that with just as much trust in them. And that's a reciprocal thing. So I don't think of it as clicking on a cookie consent policy. Yeah. My teams are really trying to, and right now, like that's kind of the sophistication most of us have, right? Is you click on that. Um, but we have conversations about how is that worded? And as we get more and more sophisticated capability, I think in the coming years, you're going to see us be much smarter about what an opt-in is and what you're actually opting in for. Or if there's an opportunity to participate in something like the Trusted Learner Network and our blockchain initiatives. And so I'm going to segue, if you don't mind a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> that whole thing, we call it a trusted learner network because it only works if the institutions that are participating to allow us to share credentials trust one another. Community mm -hmm. colleges need to trust the high schools, need to trust the universities. And if the learners consent and trust that we're the kinds of institutions that really could help them get to goal and that they're okay with us being able to offer them that service. And that's gonna get complicated. The, the whole way these trust technologies, blockchain and general public ledgers and some of the exciting work that's happening around identity management, all of that stuff only works if the learners trust us. And I think that only works if we're communicating back to them what we're actually gonna do with their data. And if we give them at the right time, in the right moment, in a contextual way to kind of you know, in a real person sense, it makes sense to them, says, hey, this is an opportunity. Uh, we could do something like uh, look at your learner record over the next five or six years and flag and send you notifications when we see that you've got a set of capabilities now that we've also recognized over in this part of our relationships with corporate partners is a really hot commodity. You've yep. actually got something to share there. And so there's internships or there's projects or who knows what that might look like. But we want, to, we want to have crystal clarity with that learner that that's the way we're using their data and that they can then say, nah, that's right. I don't need you for that. I came for this and we're good with this or however they want to respond to it. Sure. Um, I think that's all a design issue. That is, that is at the heart of, of having a trust design strategy. I really love that. Um, I, I love I love that uh, really anchoring on trust and I love the notion of a trust design strategy. Um, curious as you're having these conversations with key stakeholders, with students, what are you hearing in terms of students' expectations of Arizona State University in terms of what kinds of guidance they want or communications they want uh, along their journey? You mentioned one in terms of recommending programs. Sometimes I, I feel like there's a, a conversation, maybe a false choice between you know FERPA and, and protecting data and then 
having personalized communications, but maybe mm-hmm. the way you're thinking about it, you, you can do all of those things and align back to making sure we're maybe exceeding student expectations. I'm just curious, what are you hearing when, when you talk to students? I have a really amazing UX and design team that spend all of their time doing A-B testing and doing focus groups and looking at videos of students that have been working through our systems. And you know, we probably have some of the biggest ears. Um, and it's fascinating. You know, the students, if you ask them, will tell you exactly what they think. They'll tell you, hey, when you said this over here, like we're number one in innovation, for example, um, they'll tell us how they perceive that and whether or not it sounds legitimate and like something that aligns with what they're motivated in or a particular messaging is kind of braggadocious and, and not what they were expecting. And they're perfectly honest and we respond back. So we have a, um, a rocket design system that is a, you know, kind of a modern design system that is the way that all of that learner feedback and listening activity then ends up in our designs. So that if we put something out there that isn't the message that we thought it was, or is being heard differently than we intended it to, or frankly, gets us better at being able to communicate what we really want them to learn, uh, we can get really good at that. So it's, um, it's kind of embedded both in our processes from the get-go, a whole team dedicated to it, and in the technologies and the way we, we wield them. Does that help answer your question? Oh, yeah. That's, that, that's amazing. I'd love to, love to actually talk with your UX team at some point. <laughs> it sounds like they're doing amazing work. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'd actually love to, uh, I'd love to make sure we, we pivot to the, the conversation around equity. I could, oh, I could see, you know, it's interesting. There's just lots of stuff you read in the news. I mean, I feel like on the surface, somebody could say, oh my God, ASU, all these students are operating at this huge scale. How could you possibly be providing personalized, equitable experiences with that number of students at that kind of scale? Of course, we would dispute that immediately and have a conversation about it. But I could see, you know, I could see initially someone at service saying, wow, that's, how does that work? So tell us, how how does that work at ASU? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So Scale is an interesting metric. We do have scale. At 55,000 online learners, that's, that's pretty incredible scale. But those are 200 different programs that are servicing those learners. It's not a monolith. It's not a small portfolio. It's a portfolio that includes astronomy right. and physics and the kinds of programs that a tier one research university can offer. Once you get into a an actual program from a technology perspective into one of our program microsites, and you're actually starting to understand better what that particular journey would look like, that's where the conversation becomes highly personal. So we have our technologies really tailored and thinking more and more and more about how to personalize that learner journey so that we know, and and of course, if you've got a learner relationship management system that's actually designed to think that way, and that's the kind of data that we're paying attention to, um, then we can be pretty savvy about not trying to say online education is a one-size-fits-all, that your journey is something that looks like 10,000 other mm-hmm. people's journeys, and that, that we're really acutely listening. The other thing we can do from more of an equity and inclusion space is recognize a little bit what that really means. So what are these populations that we aspire to working out and to facilitating 
and are they actually hearing us? And if they're not, then what do we need to do better to make sure that we're able to reach them, that they're able to find us? That's a really important component of it. You can't just, yeah, you just can't announce um, the doors are open. Uh, You actually have to have, it's another design question, right? You have to have a process that lets you listen and hear that and say, okay, we're here in Arizona and we know that there's students in rural areas that aren't going to be able to come to a Tempe campus. That's, that's like an obvious example, right? Does our data actually demonstrate that we're good at that? Um, asking ourselves those kinds of hard questions has got to be part of the whole process. You know, I, I love this idea of connecting and helping individuals find opportunity. This is such a powerful idea that I've just been talking with a number of um, wonderful people who work in admissions about, and, you know, and really having this conversation about it's, you know, the work that they're doing isn't just about generating leads or their pipeline or many students, but it really is important work that's about these connections. And there's so many stories in my own personal life, as well as uh, people that I talk to who are students who, you know, maybe international students who are, you know, I live in New York City. So international students that I know who no one in their town uh, had ever gone to college or had ever been to New York or even the United States, but they had this dream in their mind. And course, through the power of the internet, they ended up getting connected with a school in New York, they finally find themselves here. But that admissions officer and that, you know, the ad campaign the school was running on Instagram was the thing that ignited their imagination at first and had to help them see the possibility. And then ended up connecting them with the right resources and was really the first point of contact um, in the United States, quite honestly, as they showed up. And, you know, it's an interesting story if you're recruiting maybe internationally, but, you know, so many schools would probably also say to us, well, I have the same experience with students who live two blocks from campus who are first-generation students who just maybe also don't see the opportunities, and we can help connect them with that and inspire them. I just think that's, in terms of the impact you're making locally as well as globally, I just think that's incredible. And you're using Marketing Cloud to, to drive a lot of those communications? My group is actually just in the process of getting Marketing Cloud up and running. Marketing Cloud up oh, and running cool. at our, um, and that's within Ed Plus. We've had uh, essentially an unconnected Marketing Cloud for a while, and we're just outgrowing it. Uh, there's just too much. As an example, and again, it's a it's kind of a design issue, and a lot of a lot of the way we think about ASU is kind of designing the new American University and what that means. So an Uber partnership is a a great example. Uber is one of the kinds of partners that allows us to reach first-generation immigrants. They're trying to carve out brand new communities for themselves, brand new structures in a brand new place with their families here. And they're not necessarily, because they're an Uber driver, they're not necessarily connected to a place of work, right? It's um, kind of a contrast to the Starbucks model that we also have, where they're all Starbucks partners, and so they are connected by an actual physical location. The Uber drivers aren't. So when we think about who is that that now has access to ASU, and how do we relate to them? How do we help them understand a pretty complicated international transcript process? Um, How do we help them understand or part of that Uber relationship is um, includes entrepreneurship and English as a second language course. 
courses because we recognize that entrepreneurial spirit and the fact that they might actually need some more robust English before they come into a degree program. And so it's all part of the design and in working with Uber, trying to figure out how do we make sure that all those pieces are there, because that's a population that we know we can help. Um, but otherwise, you, you wouldn't necessarily be able to have a, a clear-cut you know, relationship with them. That, that's pretty amazing. I'd love to actually hear about your journey as well. This is a, a question I like to ask of all of my guests. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, an amazing role right now at ASU. You're doing great things and making a huge impact. And I'm sure inspiring lots of people around you, including our listeners here today. Um, and you know, I'm sure everyone listening is thinking about the students they're helping, but also probably thinking about their own careers and, and where they're going. Love to just hear about you know your your career journey. Oh man, ah, oh, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> My career journey is more like a roller coaster of <laughs> accidental things that turned out pretty okay but you know what uh, a lot of career journeys are like that um that's i think that's actually more the traditional model than uh, mm-hmm. than anything else um for sure <laughs> not so not so different you know i i think i have the the pretty stereotypical chief technology officer kind of background i have a bachelor's in history because that's how you start as a cto is you go get a history degree Specifically, yeah. like study 7th through 14th century early modern Europe, that's that's the logical place to start. Sure, that sounds like a perfect path for me. Yeah. Right, I'm, right. I'm also a liberal arts person. So, so yeah, it <laughs> makes perfect sense. There are all these wonderful liberal arts people who are now kind of running the world of technology. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all part of a grand scheme. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so I started there. Um, I happened to have chosen to go to the University of Texas at Austin. So I was in Austin, Texas at a time where uh, you couldn't walk across the street without running into somebody that was, you know, somehow on fire about technology. And so when I was a history major, I started a small cottage industry software company that failed miserably because, you know, it was 1992 and <laughs> there, wasn't, uh, there wasn't a World Wide Web. There's an internet and we were shareware, you know, selling stuff on BBSs and, and it was Oh my it goodness. Was, yeah, I just was, I'm imagining the BBS like retail or selling stuff on a BBS. That's oh, it. Yeah, it it was real work. Um it but you know, I didn't know any better. Uh that it's that seemed like the obvious place to go, right? Because you could <laughs> you could do that from wherever you were. You could do that from your house and you could do it any time of night. And I could sell them in Israel and I didn't have to have, you know, like there was all electronic distribution. This is sweet. It made perfect sense to me. The sustainability model, uh, I was kind of shocked to find out that was so hard. But I, I was kind of selling niche software to a pretty niche audience. <laughs> you know, it was people who were on BBSs in the 90s. But it's, it was impossible, I think, in an environment like that not to get kind of caught up in it. So that led me into doing software development for oil and gas companies and semiconductor. And then that kind of culminated as the director of innovation for, for a large real estate firm. And through all of that, I was pretty, I, I was pretty intrigued by how quickly you could learn things online. That's what me and all my peers were doing. My history degree didn't actually prepare me for that work. It was the ability to have other technologists and, um, and O'Reilly Media's books Yeah, that kind of got us where we were at. And so as that matured, essentially, as the costs came down for actually being able to put a rich media experience out into the world, 
because in, you know, around 2003, 2006, it was still very expensive to do most of that and pretty short talent to be able to, to actually do something like a learning experience online. Mm-hmm. As that cost came down, it was a irresistible force to try to figure out how could we apply technology to actually helping more and more people uh, have access to these incredible experiences, transformational learning experiences. Yeah. So it, it felt like a really natural progression to me, but, uh, but that's, of course, looking back. I think one of the tricks to, to a career is just looking at something and saying, does that align with my values and goals? And well, I wake up in the morning thinking that's awesome. And then the willingness to just say yes to it, even if it sounds crazy. Yeah, I think I love that saying yes to things, even if they sound a little bit crazy. This uh, notion of being kind of like slightly terrified of whatever you're about to do is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that should be a requirement. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so speaking of being slightly terrified about what you're about to do, tell me what's, uh, what's next at Arizona State? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, this blockchain stuff is pretty uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, we spent a year, well, actually a little bit over a year from where we are now, from when we start, first started working with Adam Kaplan and some of the other guys there at Salesforce, frankly, just trying to figure out whether or not that technology fit. Yeah. And if it fit, what fit meant. What we hope, and, and to some extent, you see the same kind of hope in experiments with MOOCs and experiments with adaptive learning. And at its core, a lot of that is, oh, we've got this new AI technique, or we've got this new um, trust technology, or we've got a new way of handling identity. And all of that is is trying to figure out, can we put that in service of what I call learner agency? Can we actually actually give the learner more ability to chart their own course, more intelligence about what's available to them and how quickly they could apply that to get where they want to go? The ability to, once they learn something, because that's what the whole process is about, shift gears and say, oh, that's not where I want to go over there is where I want to go. Can we help them have that agility um, so that we're learning right alongside them and being able to put these technologies to bear? It's, it's both exciting and pretty terrifying because some of the stuff is, there are not a lot of great, blockchains are a great example, there are not a lot of really robust use cases out there and service of these things that for the last five or six years, blockchain enthusiasts, myself included, have been saying, oh, this is going to be great. And, and kind of say, right, <laughs> isn't it? And now we're actually doing it. Um, we're actually MVPing on a product that we'll put out with, uh, with students at community colleges, trying to align that with uh, you know, Salesforce and the folks that you've got who actually want a product out there. That's, that's pretty crazy territory. It's very tight timelines. Universities tend to think, you know, in semester-like thinking and pretty slow, and there's going to be a new round of students. So if we don't hit this cohort, we'll hit the next. ASU's DNA is not that at all. Um, We are really, really aggressive with trying to push that envelope, learn fast, learn new, and, you know, fail fast and forward. And so that's, that's an unusual amount of pressure, I think, in our space. And, you know, back to that trust piece, that's a critical component, too. We don't want to have a misstep that then creates any kind of friction in a system where the whole point is we don't want friction in the system. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's a little terrifying sometimes, but it's the, the kind that's worth waking up for. 
Yeah, and I love this notion of sort of giving the, the learner agency for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that is super, super powerful. And that reminds me of, um, we did a uh, panel as part of a week we call Future of Education Week that uh, Ted Mitchell was interviewed and, and talked about the universal learner mindset that learning can come from anywhere and can yeah. piecing these things together over a course of a lifetime and really putting the learner at the center of that journey is just amazing. And I, I love this idea of, you know, even thinking about my own educational journey of being able to use the data that we have, the technology we have to help students take a little bit of a journey of discovery on their path to open them up to ideas that maybe they hadn't even thought could be a career or could be something they study that may completely change the course of their life through some of the work you're doing. So you're doing amazing work. You're inspiring me every minute here. (laughs) And now you have one new Twitter follower, me. uh... I appreciate that. I'll send you some of the stuff on our rocket design system. Oh, yeah, I would love to. I mean, you have so much cool stuff in your feed. So everyone listening, please follow Donna on Twitter. Uh, that's a requirement because it's lots of great stuff there. Would love to revisit with you anytime. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see how all this how it progresses and to catch up with you. It's just you're doing such amazing stuff. And, you know, ASU obviously is a great inspiration to all of us in terms of how we can innovate, work together, think about new ways of engaging data in our, in our our customers, really, students. So thank you so much. Oh, Jason. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And, and I appreciate the, this whole series and this, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about technology and innovation because those are kind of unavoidable topics, I guess, for me. But, but I really appreciate that this series is focused on equity. And I, I really have enjoyed the chance to, to kind of get to play around with some of these ideas with you because I think a lot of our institutions are really focused on equity. It's it is something all of us are trying to think deeply about and be honest with ourselves about and try to figure out what does that really mean and how do we really service it? So for all of the tech talk and for all of the cool things, I, I really do appreciate that that's where the focus of this series is. And, and thank you very much for, for inviting me to the conversation. Well, Donna, thank you so much. Uh, it's really great to, to be with you today. And I uh, want to thank everyone for listening today. This has been episode four of the Education Empowered podcast. We're uh, so grateful that you took the time to be with us today. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.